Our lesson this evening comes from the book of Titus, and we'll be looking at Titus chapter 1. We'll be looking at the entire chapter of Titus chapter 1. When we talked about uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, we dealt with at the same time when we were talking about elders and things. We also talked about uh, some of those things we found in Titus, and so we're not going to look at the qualifications there in Titus, but we are going to look at really at the the work of elders in in Titus chapter 1. I know we have on on the screen there the book of Titus, but I really titled this uh, Confronting Error because in in Titus chapter 1, that's what is uh, being discussed uh, quite plainly, how to uh, confront those who are uh, trying to bring in uh, damnable uh, doctrine. But in way of introduction to the book of Titus, which we'll get to again, our main uh, topic this evening here in just a moment, uh, and this is just a brief introduction. Uh, this letter is written uh, by the Apostle Paul. It is dated about AD 67 and is next to the last book ever written by Paul that we have. Uh, the book was written to Titus. We find there in verse 4, who was, who was a Greek, and we find that in Galatians 2 and verse 3. Uh, Titus, uh, I have one side notes I have here. Titus has never mentioned, uh, his name is never mentioned in the book of Acts, uh, though he was, uh, he had much to do with uh, when it came to teaching and things such as this. But in, but Paul here also, we find here, left Titus in, in Crete uh, to set in order some things that were lacking. Paul calls Titus his true child after a common faith in Titus 1 and verse 4. Uh, the, the date is uh, A.D. 65 to 67 on Paul's way to Nicopolis. And that is my brief introduction. So I told you it was brief. But what we're looking at really the idea here this evening of looking at elders and, and the, the, the uh, task of confronting error, which brings us to our first main point, and uh, that is elders are to hold fast to the word. In Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, that's where we're going to pick up. That's really at the very end of a list of qualifications for those who wish to be elders. Uh, we find in verse 9 of Titus chapter 1, uh, the, the phrase, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. We think about that phrase, what does holding fast the faithful word mean? Well, it means to cling to, to cling to, to be devoted to the truth of the gospel. Also notice there it is it's the faithful word uh, we are to hold to and nothing else. It's not to be, he's not to hang on to uh, traditions or anything such as that, but it's the faithful word. That is the true, uh, the truth, the gospel that he is to be holding on to. And then the latter part of verse 9 says that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. We think about that idea, but this really deals with why he is to hold fast that faithful word. That being uh, in order that he may be able both to exhort by healthy teaching and to convince or to convict the ones who are contradicting the truth. So he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. Now, when we say those who contradict, we're not saying individuals who just simply believe differently than we do or have difference of opinions. He's talking about those who contradict what the Bible says. Those individuals we're talking about here this evening. And so by holding fast to that faithful word, he is able 
by using that sound doctrine or that sound teaching to exhort them and to convict those who, who are in contradiction to God's word. Now, all Christians are exhorted to hang on to the truth of the gospel, as we find in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, where he tells us, Hold fast the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. He tells him to hang on to the truth. Are we to do the same today? Well, we have to do the same. If we're going to be pleasing the sight of God, we have to be those who love the truth enough to hang on to it always. And so he mentions there in verse 13 to hold fast the pattern of sound words. There no doubt are many patterns out there today when it comes to looking at the religious world, but there's only one that is following the sound words of the Bible. And so we are to follow after that pattern of sound words. He says, what you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, We think about, again, going back here to verse to verse 9, this idea of sound doctrine. The reason for holding on to sound teaching that he has been taught uh, is mentioned in, in this verse, here in verse 13, the sound doctrine is sound teaching. So there is unsound teaching that must be opposed. If there is sound teaching, there must be unsound teaching. Convince, again, is the idea to convict, reprove, rebuke, con, uh, to uh, speak against their, their, their false teaching. And to admonish, the idea there being to admonish them to follow after the truth. We also found there in verse 9 of Titus chapter 1, the idea there to, to exhort and to convict uh, those who contradict. Uh, and contradict, I believe the King James says there, the idea of the, the gainsayer, that is the idea of one who speaks against, one who contradicts sound teaching. Now, sound teaching is the proper way to respond uh, is the proper way to respond to those who contradict uh, sound teaching also will is the idea of those who well think about this for a second sound teaching is not long-held opinions sound teaching is not traditions and sound teaching is not the length of time the air has has lasted those things are not sound teaching. So just because something has been held as an opinion and been held and treated as if it's the truth, that doesn't make it sound teaching. Just because it's something that's always been done, it's a tradition, doesn't mean it's sound teaching. And just because something has lasted for a long period of time, despite it being error, that also is not sound teaching. So none of these things supersede uh, sound doctrine. None of these things are sound doctrine. As we continue on here, looking at verse 10, we find those who are in danger, who are a danger uh, to the brethren in verses 10 and following. Because as he begins, you know, in verse 9, he talks about how we are to uh, respond, how we are to prepare to, to, to respond to those who contradict. And then in verse 10, he begins really to describe those individuals who are a danger to the brethren. We would say also today that a danger to the church. As you look at verses 10, uh, through verse 16. So we'll begin with the description of those who contradict, looking at verse uh, 10 here. For there are many, he says, insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. The King James says, uh, I think, unruly there, uh, there in verse 10, but insubordinate, that did those who are rebellious, they will not submit to authority. We talked about that a little bit this morning. 
uh, in Bible class, to those who are not, uh, who are insubordinate, those who will not listen to those who are over the church, really it's a reference to elders. You know, think about this for a second. In the workplace, if someone is insubordinate, it means they're not listening to their boss, right? When school, a person could get in trouble for insubordination, which means they weren't listening to the teacher. They were ignoring them completely. And which was interesting to me because somebody got in trouble before that, that was actually one of the more severe things that you could do was to just outright ignore uh, whatever teacher you may have. Uh, but here, the same idea. It is insubordination. They're not listening to those who are over them, whether it be the, the elders or the group of men at a congregation when there are no elders present. He says, next, both idle talkers and deceivers. Well, idle talkers, the King James, again, I think says vain talkers here, are those with empty words, worthless words, words that do not help anyone. So idle talkers, they're, they're saying things that are not encouraging anyone. You might even say they're, they're passing on, as we find here next, things that are false, idle talkers. And then he says, and deceivers. Deceivers is a word that means a mind misleader, a mind deceiver, a seducer, one who is misleading people, misrepresenting the truth. Well, those would be those who are deceivers here. And then those of the circumcision is a reference to the Jews, who many say were the largest source of false teaching. But also notice this for a second, that Titus does not mention where these individuals or male or female. You know, in Jude, like we talked about this morning, he actually refers to, to, to those who are uh, false teachers as men. But here in Titus, he doesn't say whether they were male or female. Now think for a moment, are there ever instances in the Bible where ladies were influenced for someone to do something that was in contradiction to God's word? Were they ever ones who influenced others to depart from God? Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. Here in verse 25, 1 Kings 21, the Bible says, well, there, was, there, was, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. What does that mean? Now, we're not saying Jezebel was, was, at, was entirely at fault for everything that Ahab did. But it's interesting in verse 25 that she is one who's mentioned there is one who stirred him up to do evil. So obviously, those who are who can who can be in contradiction, those who can be insubordinate, can apply to men or to women. We also find there in the book of Revelation, looking at Revelation two and verse twenty and twenty one, we also find here another woman mentioned by the same name. Verse twenty says, "Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to do and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality or fornication." And eat, and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now you look at verse 20. Some would say, well, that's figurative. But yet he says that she claims herself to be a prophetess, right? She was leading people away. Verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality or fornication. And she did not repent. So can those who are described in Titus can also be a reference to those who are ladies? Well, yeah, it can be. But we know false teachers many times are, are, are those are men who do stand up and teach things that are in contradiction to God's word. But ladies can be ones who do the same things in their own settings as well. 
They can also be an influence to those who are doing evil, to influence those to do evil, to go against God. We find that, as we saw back in 1 Kings, and we find it here in the book of uh, Revelation. We think about next the evil work of such individuals that's being described here in Titus chapter 1. We find there looking at Titus chapter 1, looking at verse 11. We'll come back and look at all of verse 11 later. But he says here, he subverts whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And so the latter part of this verse tells us is some of what they were doing. They were what? They were fooling people, subverting. That is, they were, uh, might even say the idea there of misleading them, teaching things which they ought not. That is, things are false for the sake of dishonest game, which was they were saying things that weren't true, so they could try to gain maybe some influence over them. It also could be a reference to uh, financial gain as well. Uh, we find in verse 16, with their mouths they profess to be pure, uh, but they were not. They profess to know God, but in, in works they deny Him, being abominable, uh, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They profess these things, they profess to know God, but he says they do not. In works, they deny him. Isn't it interesting that there are those that say, today say, well, all you have to do is believe, right? And he says here in verse 16, they profess to know God. A lot of people, they profess to know God, but a lot say they don't. And even here in Titus, is the idea that you can profess to know God and still be a complete contradiction to God. These individuals professing to know God, but in their works, which is referenced here as a part of the Christian life here in verse 16, by their works they deny Him. So we have those today who still teach that you know you cannot earn your salvation. No doubt you can't, but being faithful to God is a work. It's not just merely professing Him. And we find in verse 16, that's what these individuals are doing. They profess to know God, but in their works, in their actions, they deny Him. And the end result there in verse 16, they are disqualified for every good work. They do not bring about anything that is good. Next thing about what must be done. What must be done with these types of individuals, these types of people who are trying to lure people away, who are teaching things that are false, saying things that contradict the word of God directly. When we go back to looking at verse 11, we find there he says, whose mouths must be stopped. Titus 1 verse 11. Remember before we talked about how all the things they did, but prior to that he mentions there their mouths must be stopped. Doesn't sound like just going along with them, does it? Doesn't sound like being buddy buddy with them, does it? No, he says their mouths must be stopped. We go back and look at verse thirteen, which we referenced to earlier. We find here in verse thirteen, he says, "Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith." Rebuke them sharply. What does that mean? We talked about that earlier. It means to show them the error of their ways and encourage them to come back to the truth. He says here the idea of sharply. This doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, with, with, with intensity or with anger, but the idea is quickly. Rebuke them sharply. They may be sound in the faith. And the reason for that is because they're leading people away. And then he says in verse 14, as we think about what must be done, we must stop their mouths, they must be rebuked. And in verse 14 we find, we cannot listen to their fables. He says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turned from the truth. Now, fables are those things which we used to tell our, some of you may have told your children, you know, little stories and things that weren't true, but they taught 
some type of, of, of you know, noble principle or, or something along that line. But here, these, he mentions here these Jewish fables. It's a reference to their teaching. And he says it's like, it's like a fable. It's not true. So he says not giving heed to them, not listening to them, not following them. He says not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Commandments of men. And that is a reference to all these things that these individuals were teaching. They were teaching things that contradict, teaching their fables, teaching things to, for dishonest gain. They were luring away whole households. And he says their commandments here in verse 14 will turn men from the truth. They will turn men from the truth. That is why they must be addressed. That is why their mouths must be stopped. That's why they must be rebuked sharply. And that's why, as any leader of a congregation, we must be those who hold fast to the sound, uh, to, to faithful words, and to the faithful word. So we, as we think about Titus chapter 1 here, we recognize that the need for, this, for these things, elders here specifically, their qualifications, and one of them being the willingness to stand and stand up against false teaching. To stand for the truth, which brings us into our final point here is to think about some lessons for us today. We must stand fast for the truth. Elders and leaders in the church must be those who stand on God's word. Truth is only found in God's word. So using something else is as our standard is not standing on truth. We say, well, I know what the Bible says. Well, let's see what some so-and-so over here thinks. It doesn't matter. The Bible is our standard. We cannot allow ourselves to be those who say, well, yeah, but we're going to go over here and do whatever he thinks is right. That's not what the Bible says. Truth is what we stand upon. God's word is what we stand upon. The need to know God's word tells us that this is the answer to the problem of false teaching and any other issues the church may face is based upon following God's word. It is our God, it is our standard for everything that we do. Not only for our organization and our worship and God's plan for man's salvation that we teach, but it's our standard for everything. Not only must we stand fast for truth, but we also must be those who stand fast against damnable doctrine. As one preacher said years ago, a lecture I was attending, he said he made the point that we must be those who stand for truth and those who stand against error. Now, I'm glad he made, made those points separate because you can stand for truth, but you can also at the same time refuse to stand up against error. There are a lot of people today who are willing to teach the truth, but not willing to stand against things that are going to separate people from God. So we must be those who stand fast against damnable doctrine. When we say damnable doctrine, we mean things if you follow after them and believe those things, it's going to cost you your eternal soul. That's what we're talking about. One cannot stand for truth without standing against false teaching. It's not enough to teach the truth. You must be able to recognize and to stand in opposition to those things which are in contradiction to God's word. When one stands against false teaching, they're not being argumentative, not being narrow-minded or picky. As some might say, they're doing those things which we ought to be doing, sitting against false teaching. You think about how much time Christ spent dealing with those who held false views. 
the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You think about the amount of time that Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, how much time he spent dealing with individuals who held false ideas. How much time Peter spent dealing with those individuals. And here with Titus, this idea that they are to stand against these individuals who bring in things that are in contradiction to God's word. Standing against error is a requirement for the Christian and certainly for anyone who is in a leadership role. And I say leadership role because not every congregation has elders. And so what happens, we have men in the congregation who do the very best to make sure that godly decisions are made and to stand up for truth. That's what we're talking about. Error, think about this for a moment. Error that is ignored is error that is condoned, isn't it? If we ignore it, we're saying we're okay with it. If we do not act, we're saying we're fine with that. And friends, so many times that's exactly what happens. We must be those who stand against error. So let's be those who love the truth enough to stand on it and to defend it. Again, you go back and look at Titus chapter 1. Yes, he deals with the qualifications of elders. But he also deals, you know, out of those 16 verses, the last part there deals with not only qualifications, but also the work of an elder, which focuses primarily on stopping those who are teaching false things which are false. What happens if someone is allowed to continue to teach things that are going to cause an individual to lose their soul if they followed it, what's going to happen? Division will eventually happen, won't it? You'll have one group who'll, who will not want to follow and believe what they're teaching, and you have one group that will. And what happens is it splits the congregation. Or it doesn't, and everybody falls in line. False teaching is something that is, in, is incredibly dangerous and we must be on guard against. Error will oftentimes be more popular than truth, but the numbers never change wrong to right, does it? What we mean by that is it doesn't matter how many people think you're right. If the Bible says you're wrong, then you're wrong. We must be those who are willing to stand against error. So this evening, as you think about, we've been talking about with Titus, and we, we talked a little bit again, like I mentioned this morning, we talked about this a little bit in Jude as well. Think about for a moment not only the importance of standing for the truth and defending the truth and standing up against error, but what, were to, what would happen, as you mentioned before, if we just simply ignored it? What would happen if we saw false teaching coming in, but we said nothing? Friends, we would eventually become something that's not the Church of Christ, wouldn't we? We eventually be something that is not the Church of the Bible. We think about the warnings and the actions here of the elders that are mentioned here in Titus, specifically verses ten and following. We think about us today here in Hula God. We do not have elders; we all know that, but we do have. I believe, those who want to do what is right. We want to stand up for truth. We want to be on guard against error because we never know what's going to happen. We never know who's going to come in at some point 
or someone who never know someone might have a change of mind and decide they're going to start doing something different. And so what we have to do, we have to listen, pay attention, and be on guard against it. Think for a moment how many individuals you've knew about over the years who started out as sound gospel preachers, sound Bible teachers. You know, at some point, for a lot of false teachers, at some point, they held to the truth. Now, even Rubel Shelley, way back in the day, was sound at one point. We recognize he's not now. But think about all those who at one time were dedicated to the truth who no longer are. What does that tell us? It tells us we need to pay attention. It tells us we need to listen. We all know, many of us remember a couple years ago when we had Kevin Pendergrass here for a tent meeting. Under the impression he was dedicated to the truth. And during that time when he presented those lessons, he was. But, you know, less than a year later, he made it very clear he was not going to be teaching what he once taught. His views had changed very dramatically, which tells us we must begin be on guard against those things. Now, to my knowledge, he never taught those things here. But what would happen if he did? We have to be willing to respond, don't we? Titus tells us that we must be willing and we must be ready. This evening, as you think about these things, we hope this lesson has been one that's been encouraging because sending for the truth and recognizing that there are those who also want to do the same should be encouraging. But also we recognize that not every time we hear someone speak, the truth is going to be taught. So we must be ready and be, be willing to be those who are listening closely.